Good morning, everybody. Welcome in. It is a Tuesday edition of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam, and we appreciate you selecting this radio program for your listening pleasure. Also for your information. Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and society. Also work as Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm currently the interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church over in Simpsonville. Come join us for a Sunday morning service if uh, you are currently not attending regularly another church. We'd be glad to have you. Services are at 10.30. And, of course, if you have uh, the desire for a college education, you can't do better than North Greenville University. So just to let you know that. Um, all right, let's uh, start out. I've got some sound bites that I want you to hear. And all of these are related to the, the House Judiciary Committee, where you're going to hear first Jim Jordan talking about numerous FBI whistleblowers that have come forward to reveal multiple examples of how the FBI has been weaponized against conservatives. Then we're going to hear from Nicole Smith, who's a former FBI agent, who backs up a lot of what Jim Jordan says. See, this whole, the, the Democrats, well, the news media are ignoring this. That's, they're, they're either ignoring it or mocking it. The Democrats are just on the committee or just enjoying, you know, bloviating opportunities and mocking it and bringing up stuff that has nothing to do with the meat of the case, which is that the Justice Department has decided to pick sides in the culture war. Um, but this is Jim Jordan's opening statement. Now, it's two minutes and 26 seconds long, but I think it's worth it uh, for you to hear the examples that he lays out. And, and so you, you may want to sort of take note of these so that if you run into people today who say things like, well, you know, the mean conservatives are just out there making up stories about our illustrious FBI, which, look, the FBI is uh, field agents do excellent work. Um, law enforcement is something that I support. I do not support an administration over law enforcement that endorses the idea that conservatives, by the fact of them being conservative, uh, deserve to be investigated and harassed. Here we go. Chair now recognize himself for an opening statement. November 18th, 2021, an FBI whistleblower discloses to Republicans on the House Judiciary that the FBI created a threat tag for parents voicing their concerns at school board meetings. April 26, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the Bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership not the rank-and-file members. The FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked, and he's been suspended. June 7, 2022, another FBI whistleblower is retaliated against after giving feedback on an anonymous survey. July 27, 2022, 
Another FBI whistleblower discloses that agents are pressured to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism cases to hit self-created performance metrics. September 14th, 2022, an FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is deliberately manipulating January 6th case files to make it appear that domestic violence extremism is on the rise. He's been suspended. November 8th, excuse me, November 4th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses the FBI accepts private user information from Facebook without the user's consent and information is from only the conservative side of the political spectrum. This is only a sampling. Okay, so what have we got here? Why is this uh, why is this news? Because any one of those instances would be an indicator that somebody at the FBI has got their thumb on the scale when it comes to looking at conservatives and classifying them as people who are a problem in the in our culture simply because they are conservative. And so this investigation needs to go forward. Now now let me let me just say, I think it's important for us to understand, those of us that are concerned about this, and you can put me in that category, that we should not expect perp walks to come out of this. We we shouldn't expect that there's going to be a domino effect at the FBI, that people are people's jobs are going to fall, and you're going to have high-profile FBI uh, officials coming in and revealing dramatic stuff about what's going on at the Bureau. Uh, this is a very secretive agency, and it's going to be difficult to get a lot of information out. But what we should expect is a reverse chilling effect. If if the FBI is working behind the scenes, and I believe they are, to go after conservatives, to cause conservatives to think twice before they express their viewpoints because they might have a knock at the door or they might find themselves on some type of list, if, if we can reverse that chilling effect and get the FBI back in the boundaries that it was created to operate within, then that's going to be a big win. And, the, and of course, the, again, you're going to hear caterwauling from the Democrats. You're going to hear demagoguing. You're going to hear bloviating. You're going to hear all the stuff that normally comes from the left when the right begins to identify a place that the Democrats thought that they had thoroughly covered to the point that nobody would pay attention to it. So once you begin to pay attention to the things that are going on behind the curtain, then immediately you're going to be attacked. So uh, I appreciate Jim Jordan and this committee being willing to go after this stuff. All right, I want you to listen now for just a minute to, um, I I said uh, Nicole Smith, her name's actually Nicole Parker. She's a former FBI special agent. And she's talking about her experience here with the weaponization of the FBI against conservatives. Here we go. The FBI became politically weaponized starting from the top in Washington and trickling down to the field offices. Although FBI employees have their First Amendment rights, they are not at the liberty to allow their personal political views or preferences to determine their course of action or inaction in any investigation. Lady Justice must remain blind. Those that do not uphold these responsibilities cause a negative ripple effect throughout the agency in the field. It's as if there became two FBIs, 
Americans see this, and it is destroying the Bureau's credibility, causing Americans to lose faith in the agency, and therefore the hardworking and highly ethical agents who still do the heavy lifting and pursue noble cases. It makes it very difficult for agents to do their job when the FBI loses the respect of the American people. There has also been a shift in recruiting practices, a lowering of the eligibility requirements, which is negatively impacting the agency's performance. And all this adds up to a loss of trust in the FBI by many Americans and low morale among many FBI employees. Okay. Again, the reason this is, in, is, is important is you've, you've, got, um, you've got a lax attitude at the FBI. This is being fostered by the Justice Department because the Justice Department under the Biden administration is perfectly willing to put the thumb on the scale when it comes to uh, basically going after conservatives, make, turning up the heat on conservatives, calling school board protesters terrorists or domestic, classifying them as domestic terrorists, putting them on some kind of watch list. I mean, all these things have got to be reined in for several reasons. One, it's wrong for the FBI to do this. And it's bad for the people that are targeted when all they're doing is exercising their First Amendment rights. The second reason is because, as Ms. Parker said, it is incredibly important that the American people have confidence in their law enforcement agencies. I mean, we pay these people to make sure that we're protected. And when the people that we're paying to protect us turn on us, uh, that's a scary proposition. People lose faith. They lose confidence. And one of the things that holds us together is the idea that law and order is going to be upheld. Because without that, if we become like a communist state where people go to bed at night wondering if there's going to be a knock at the door because their neighbors turned them into the government or because the government has suspected that they're involved in some kind of subversive activity or that they were just going to ascribe subversive activity to a a person because they want to make them disappear. I mean, that's that's a horrible thing that goes on in China. It goes on in Russia. It goes on in Cuba. It goes on in um, e extremist communist countries, North Korea. Uh, that North Korea is run by fear and intimidation. And we don't want to have any element of that in the United States. It's not that you know, we're, we're, we're a great country. We're, we don't have to worry about this. Yes, we are a great country. And because that's true, we have to be concerned about this and push the FBI back in the box where they're supposed to operate. Um, we're going to be wrapping up the program on March 31st. Yesterday was kind of exciting. Uh, got a couple of packages delivered. Uh, I now have a couple of sets of really nice headphones <laughs> and um, a video camera that's going to be pretty amazing because you know how the uh, you know we're using my iPad here, one of them, uh, as the camera for the program for Facebook Live, and uh, of course it's stationary and uh, a lot of things about it that are not the best because it really wasn't designed to serve as a video camera for something like a radio program or a podcast. So the camera that came yesterday is uh, is really small, but it's very uh, functional in that it has autofocus and it will track me if I move around. So if I, you know, go from one side to the other or decide that the camera's going to move with me so it's always got the same angle. Um, so I'm looking forward to fooling around with that, learning how to use it. Uh, still waiting to hear from, uh, uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you, Blacktop Media uh, is working on website expansion and YouTube building and stuff like that. So 
Um, I'll be hopefully hearing from them today. And uh, the reason all this is going on is because the show is going to shift to my dining room table. It's going to be the new studio. And um, we're going to basically keep doing the show as a morning um, show, but it's only going to be for an hour, 7.30 to 8.30. But it'll be streaming on the website, and then it will be available at YouTube. It'll be available, of course, Facebook Live, and it's going to be available uh, later in the day, we'll post it on the website. I mean, it's going to be, and the podcast is going to be out there for you to download and subscribe to. So a lot of stuff going on with that. Um, the reason all this is happening is that his his radio talk format is changing. We're going to, Gary's going to retire on March 31st, and then we're going to have um, 91.9 and 89.7 FM will not carry these programs anymore, but will be a, some type of music format. So we hope that uh, you'll, you know, that you'll enjoy that when that change overcomes. Uh, there's no, uh, by the way, just for the record here, uh, there's no hurt feelings or uh, anything like that. That I mean, this is just circumstances of life. Gary's retiring, and they, the station decided to use that as an opportunity for a, a, a different format. And let, let me just say that his radio, the His Radio Training Network, I mean, Everybody here has been wonderful to me. I mean, think about it. For 21 years I've had the opportunity, give or take a few years, a couple of years in there we were off. But for the most part, um, 18 to 21 years. Um, you know, we, I've had an opportunity to be here and to have all this airtime to bring guests in, into your life that uh, hopefully have been encouraging I hope you were really in, encouraged yesterday by, yesterday by Colin Hansen that, that you're going to take advantage of the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. Uh, it'll help you to build your knowledge of God's Word in a way that'll help you defend the faith at the workplace, with your family get-togethers, among your friends. So, um, I mean, it's been it's been incredible. You realize because I hosted this show, I got to go to Israel uh, for— 10 days, uh, all first class with APAC. Um, I, I got to spend uh, eight days going through the Grand Canyon on a raft, uh, which that whole trip turned out to be a couple of weeks. I uh, was able to go to the Reagan Library and do some other things that I'd really wanted to do in conjunction with spending that time in the Grand Canyon, learning about how the Grand Canyon was actually formed. I mean, I was, I was able to go on that because it was a leadership trip. And I, I couldn't, I mean, if I started listing all the things, the doors that opened for me because I had an opportunity to do a radio show, um, it, it would take up the rest of the broadcast, and I, I don't want to do that. But um, so just suffice it to say that I have nothing but immense gratitude uh, to the folks here at His Radio, um, everybody. Um, I've started naming them. I'll leave somebody out. And of course, my wife's been working here for over 25 years. So um, we're going to, you know, times change, people change, situations change, and you uh, take those opportunities to do something different. And that's what we're going to do. So I hope you'll stay with me. I'm, I'm, those of you that listen on a regular basis, I'll be talking beginning March the 1st about how you can stay with the show. And um, I hope you will. I hope you'll follow me. I hope you'll help me get the word out that uh, we're just going to take a little different form. And, you know, I want to keep going for another five years or so, maybe longer, uh, if God gives me the strength. All right. Uh, I promised to tell you the story 
about this uh, the State Department that is actually using State Department money to fund a group that produces an advertising blacklist that targets conservative news outlets. So, you know, we just got finished talking about how the FBI has been somewhat weaponized uh, to be used against conservative voices. And now we're hearing the State Department handing out $330,000 from two State Department agencies, the National Endowment for Democracy and the Global Engagement Center. Um, Both of those agencies, again, fall under the the direction of the State Department. And they gave money to uh, a U.K.-based organization called Global Disinformation Index. Now, they're, they're based out of the U.K., but they have offices in San Antonio. And so the, the mission, the stated mission of GDI is to remove the financial incentive for creating disinformation. So um, obviously they created a list of news outlets that they consider to be risky bets for advertisers, and then they distributed that list to major advertising agencies and companies And, of course, all of the outlets on the list were right of center on the news spectrum. And, you you know, I'm sure that shocks you. But instead of actually discerning where disinformation is coming from and trying to figure out a way to keep it from happening, they just put a bunch of conservative outlets on the list. In fact, they publish a list of the top ten news outlets that are spreading disinformation. So you're going to recognize most of these. Uh, Here we go. The American Spectator, Newsmax, The Federalist, The American Conservative, One American News, The Blaze, The Daily Wire, Real Clear Politics, Reason, and The New York Post. Now that's the top 10. And when they put that list out, they put it out. One of the places uh, that they put the list is uh, to an an advertising agency that does a lot of advertising with Microsoft. The the company's name is Xander. Xander's an advertising agency. Microsoft owns them. And so, obviously, they make a lot of uh, decisions about online where advertising should go and should not go. And Xander is one of the main agencies that goes by this list. In other words, they check the list before they place ad buys. I want you to listen to the CEO of, of, uh, of GDI, Claire Melford. And Ms. Melford, before she joined CD, uh, GDI, used to be an executive at MTV. But she, po- she boasted pretty much on a podcast last year that the blacklist, quote, has a significant impact on the advertising revenue that has gone to the sites, to those sites. And, of course, those sites are the ones that I just gave you, the top ten uh, sites that they have a problem with. And the reporter that, that has discovered all of this, his name is David Kaminsky, and he writes for the Washington Examiner. Now, this information that I'm giving you came from Daily Wire, but the original story is in the Washington Examiner where the story broke. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, you might, uh, you might guess there are companies, if there are companies that you should not use for news information, then there are probably companies that you should use. There's a recommended list. Every company but one 
on the recommended list is left of center. And a couple of the ones that are the most egregious here that this this organization, GDI, has the straight face to say that they don't deal in disinformation is the Huffington Post and BuzzFeed News. Now, both of those organizations were pushers of the false assertion that the Hunter laptop story was Russian disinformation. In fact, where did we, where did we first hear that? It, it came from those websites, Huffington Post and BuzzFeed News. And in case you've forgotten, the Steele dossier that we now know was complete disinformation put together as oppo research by the Hillary Clinton campaign. That story was broken. The entire dossier was published by BuzzFeed News. So, you know, these are organizations that have a documented history of having their thumb on the news scale and they're left-wing organizations putting out disinformation against conservatives. And yet GDI says they're perfectly trustworthy. In fact, they're, they're the people that you should go to if you're going to advertise while turning your back on people like Daily Wire who broke the story from Virginia about the uh, girl who was raped in a bathroom by a guy who then was transferred to another school so he could do it again. I mean, this is the kind, this is the kind of stuff that would never get covered in the mainstream media and yet GDI is out there trying to rip advertising dollars away from companies that are telling the truth while supporting companies that are pushing disinformation. So after Microsoft found out, the day after this story uh, broke in the Washington Examiner, Microsoft uh, decided, well, we're going to walk away. We're, we're going to pull away here um, from th – th we're no longer going to use the report – from Xander for any advertising decisions, and we're also going to do an internal investigation to see how we were using them to start with. So it matters when people like David Kaminsky come along, discover this stuff, and publish it because it can change the environment and get us back closer to center in the way that we treat everybody equally, hopefully. By the way, that, uh, that clip you just heard, that uh, announcement, commercial, whatever you want to call it, uh, that quote that he used at the end was from uh, former President Ronald Reagan. I have no idea why they didn't want to use his name. Uh, I don't think it's conspiracy. I just, I just found that kind they, of strange. They did. They did. Did he say Reagan? Yes, in the in the thing. I yes. didn't hear him. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear that part. Okay. Well, see, that's a that's Sorry. my problem. Not, right. not I'll there. I'll play it again next break to hear it. But uh, in in any event, another thing that was said there that um, I, I need to take issue with with is that. Look, we, we don't want God on America's side, and that's not, the, that's not the concern that we should have is whether or not God is on America's side. You, you, we're talking about the sovereign God of the universe here. Um, our concern should be is are we submitting to God? Are we surrendering to his will? Are we living our lives? Are we uh, governing our country based on the principles that are found in God's Word, that are transcendent moral principles that are always going to be true. I mean, we, the, the onus is on us, so to speak, to be faithful and to be true and to be following God's will, not planning and, and going, Lord, come down here, please, and uh, bless our plan and be on our side. Uh, God is not a heavenly bellhop. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, he, he's not the Burger King in the sky that you can have it your way. 
no, he's uh, the sovereign king, creator, God of the universe, whose son Jesus Christ came that we might know life and, and, and have it eternally, abundantly, and, and be, to be forgiven for our sin. So um, just a little thing to keep in mind. I, I know what people mean. When they say stuff like that, they don't, they're not, they don't sit around and go, okay, let's see, how can I violate theological principle here? I'm going to say it this way. No, you're not. That, that, that's not what you, they, they just do it because I used to do that all the time. I used to say things like, Jesus died for the sin of the whole world. Well, I need, and then I started modifying that. Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to cover the sin of everyone who believes. Because that's an accurate statement. The first statement is a universalist statement that basically says if Jesus died for the sin of the whole world, then the whole world is saved and going to heaven. Because if you apply his death and uh, his, the shedding of blood to every body, then everybody is saved. And that's not the way that works. There has to be an intervening moment where you accept the fact that Christ died for you, you recognize your sin, you confess your sin, you place your faith in Jesus, uh, and then you have a personal relationship with him that brings the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, until the day of redemption, meaning that uh, there's a guarantee that God has forgiven you. He's applied the righteousness of Christ to your life. So when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son and the perfection that his son uh, embodied. And then we get to go live in heaven with God one day. Pretty cool. A lot of folks up there that I love and miss very much. And uh, someday I'll be uh, anxious to join them. All right. Um, breaking news. Former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley announced today that she is running for president. I know I, you can send me pictures of your shocked face, but uh, she's seeking the Republican nomination for the 2024 election. This is according to Fox News. In a video that she posted on Twitter, Haley touted her record as South Carolina governor. Um, you know, the fact that uh, she accepted a U.N. ambassador post so that uh, Governor McMaster could be governor forever. <laughs> Actually, for 10 years, uh, be one of the longest serving governors. Now, that's probably not in her list of accomplishments, but uh, she also talked about her role as U.N. ambassador as part of her resume for you to vote for her for president. And she's looking to the future and the needs of the country. Quote, it's time for a new generation of leadership. Now, you're going to hear this from a lot of people. You heard it from Sarah Huckabee Sanders the other, the other night after the State of the Union address because one of the one of the chief vulnerabilities of Joe Biden is going to be his age. Now, we know how that worked out for people that made Reagan's age uh, a, a target. Uh, it didn't work out too well. But the difference between Reagan and Biden is light years in terms of their uh, leadership ability their grasp of the facts. I mean, people tried to make fun of Reagan, and Reagan was in his 70s. I mean, he's spring chicken compared to Joe Biden, who, if he gets reelected, would be 86 years old before he leaves office. So, um, you know, Reagan was a viable leader. Reagan, uh, throughout his eight, eight years as president, uh, didn't have cognitive issues. In many biographies that I've read, after Reagan left the White House, 
his cognitive abilities started uh, issues or challenges began to show up in the mid uh, 90s, mid to late 90s. So, yeah, you know, while he was he he was president from 1980 to 1988, and there were no issues. Um, he issued his letter to the American people. I'd have to pull that up. I'm, I may do that um, here in the, in the next segment just to to remind you of it. But in any case, what people running for president this time are going to say new generation? Because if you look at the Democrat leadership, I mean, who are they? Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden. I mean, there's just a, a bunch of people that and, and Diane Feinstein. I mean, what she's is she really going to run again? Surely not, because, I mean, she would be like 120 years old when she comes out of office. If she runs, it's not quite that bad. But the point being that Republicans are at a moment where they've got some dynamic younger leadership that will be appealing, plus the fact that I think a lot of people are just tired of, you know, the leadership that's risen to the top every time. You know, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. I mean, Trump's got one of the, the same issues that Joe Biden does. Trump's going to be older. when If he gets elected, he'd be the same age if he gets elected in 2024, that Biden was when he began his term. And so a lot of people are beginning to ask questions about that. Is that really what we want to have? Now, believe me, Trump's got plenty of supporters. It's not his supporter base is not going away anytime soon. But those, um, the point I'm making is that those that run for president that are representing a different generation uh, are going to certainly be talking about that. Haley identified numerous threats facing the country from the socialist left to Russia and China, warning that there are those who see the United States as vulnerable. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You shouldn't you should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. (laughs) Okay, little uh, uh, little sexism there. Right. Uh, She's. Uh, kind of banking on the fact that she's a woman. Hey, I'm just glad that she's running for president and she knows she's a woman and uh, that usually men are not wearing wearing spiked heels unless they're RuPaul um, in in a drag queen show. Okay, Corey is with us this morning. Corey Truex, he's going to be here for the second hour. By the way, um, (laughs) I love to spring things on it. Can you fix their camera for us, would you, Mr. Producer? Um, Drew McKissick this morning at 8.05. I know okay. you and love – I mean, you get along with him and like yeah. doing interviews with him, so that would be cool. So what's up with you, Mr. Gray Suit? You look good. Thank you, sir. Well, I'm married now for 101 days. Yeah? Yeah, and it's yeah. been a blast, so that's yeah. that's fun. What? Uh, and then just like – well, not just like you. We're you know preparing for the end of an era, the, 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 gl- <laughs> the glue that held together be- uh, better talk rate in the upstate. It's going to retire. Yeah. That's what I'm interested is – you going going anywhere fun, Gary Miller? Um, yes, toward Pick, the toward the coast. Good for you, sir. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Court Act show predated a WHRT. It'll postdate WHRT, and so just getting ready to do that, doing something a little different, probably because you know there's constraints in radio. I like constraints. I like structure. You know, your show is 50 minutes. You take breaks at these times, but now we can do whatever we want. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, we'll, um, you know, that's, that's, I was just telling everybody, uh, the camera came. Yeah, that I, saw. I showed you. Yeah, I was, the, I was listening. The, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, the the headphones. So, you know, uh, board should come this week sometime, working on the other stuff as well. Um, we're going we're gonna to do some, you know, some things. I'm, I'm trying to think of ways to uh, make the show a little better, a little different format. Like I say, it's going to be an hour. I'm going to drop back to yeah. your stratosphere. Well, also, when you think of commercials, most shows are not nearly what they say they are, right? There's, tw- right. there's five hours of news at the top of every hour. There's 12 minutes of commercials. In the end... What is that? It's like a 40-minute show per hour. That's right? right. So, I mean, one hour of content is still a ton of content. Yeah. So, we, we know that. Content production isn't easy, or at least <laughs> doing it in a compelling and interesting way. No, you know, you're right. You can, um, just, you can just drone you, on you, if you want to. That, but. Right. But but to make sense and to make people want to hear it and all of that. I mean, I've had my, believe me, I, I've had my days of droning, um, but, <laughs> but I, I try, as a rule, um, to make things compelling, to look at things in a little different way, to think about them, you know, um, through a spectrum of analysis, of course, that includes and has as its primary driver uh, scripture and the way we're supposed to live as Christians. So we, I came up through the EIB just like you did, the yeah, Excellence in Broadcasting, yes. like it was a, like a school of broadcasting. Yep. And what he was so good at was turning what could be mundane into something interesting. And I think the Lord has gifted me this way. I think you this way. It's turning the complex simple. Yeah. If yeah. You, if you can do that for people, pe- people want that because it's a confusing yeah. world. It is. Well, and it's not that people are not smart. It's just that people don't have time to think about things the way that we dedicate ourselves to thinking about them. You know, people get up, they get up, they do breakfast, they get kids ready, they they got a, a thousand things on their plate before they step into their office. Yeah. And then they got all day, they got the stuff, then they come home and it's time to be the kids, it's a ball game they got to go to. No, Nobody's got time to, most people don't have time to sit down and digest and think about, okay, which website is going to really tell me the, the, the story? But if you can get that in a podcast, if you can get it in a radio format uh, that you can depend on, uh, I think that's worth a lot. Yeah, if you can be the source for people, so what I try, this is what I try to do, that maybe they never read Paradise Lost or the, the, the Leviathan or have a real good hold on what the Gospel of Mark's uh, themes are. But all of those things are interconnected strands that make up the culture you're in. And so when you, you bring in context that you didn't have to read, maybe you didn't have time to read all that, but I did. All right. And so and I can give you what you need from it in 10 minutes that yeah, can make something, yeah. can make some sense of the world around you in it. We used to call it the Reader's Digest version, which oh. is an old joke back when Reader's Digest used to take classic novels and condense them. Yeah. It was it was awful, really. But, you know, they got chastised for doing it because wait, you take Moby Dick and put it into 100 pages yeah. or 150 pages. But, you know, for people who wanted to be um, exposed to the classics, yes, uh, that was an opportunity for them that they would never sit down with a thousand-page book and even begin. I think so. that is, it, when I say invaluable, I mean, it cannot you, you can't place a value on it. I don't right. mean that it's not, it has low value. Right. Because one of the things I think we're both interested in is maintaining the fabric of Western civilization. The fabric that made us up was our stories. Yes. If we don't share the classics, if our kids don't know them, 
It's one of the great things about hymns. If your church doesn't sing hymns, don't. I'm not insulting you. One of the great things about hymns is grandparents and grandkids know the same songs. Yeah. And it's important intergenerationally that we all know the same stories. We know the same American story. This is the danger of like a 1619 project. You're telling a new American story. That's not our story. I know our story. We've had it for 200, almost 300 years now. But if you don't know the story, 1619 comes along. Yes. And lo and behold, you get pulled by the nose down some trail where you believe things that are totally untrue about our history and our country. And I'll tell you, not only hymns, you're right, the church needs a, a, a good dose of hymns. Now, they're great praise and worship songs, and we need to sing them. We Amen. need that with gusto, but we also need to be reminded of the great hymns of the church that bind us together. Um, and, and also, I, I mean, creeds. I, yes. I know people don't want to think about, oh my, you've, you've got a creedal thing going on at your church. Well, it used to, when I was young and was kind of stupid, I really didn't stop to think about what was happening when I stood up, because I, was a, I spent a lot of time as a Methodist. I uh, got mad at the bad Baptist, went to the Methodist church. And I, every Sunday morning, you know, we'd stand up and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and his only son, Jesus yes, Christ, sir. our Lord. And, and uh, you know, and I'm saying that, you know, and I'm kind of thinking about what I got to do this afternoon. And then I, got, I started looking at the history of this, and I realized that Christians through the centuries, Amen. the first century, second century church, they would gather together and say these things together to bind them to the cross, to bind them to Christianity and, and around the world. And on any given moment, that's happening. Throughout time and throughout geography is what makes us so different. Yeah. Even the things that we love, things like free market capitalism, American conservatism, they are time-bound, and they are geography-bound. Conservative doesn't mean in around the world what it means here. Capitalism isn't as revered everywhere. But when, when you say the Apostles' Creed, like, or we have a creed at Beachwood that we say every week. It's just an amalgamation of all the creeds. Mm -hmm. There is something deep in me that goes, there's, there's a Christian saying this in Uruguay and in Ukraine and Uganda yes. right now in some their own of, language. Some of them are underground. Yes. Some of them are in China. They're persecuted. They're trying to say these things together, at the, maybe not at the same time, but in some point in the last 24 hours, they gathered and did what we're doing. Yes, in, in their own language. And name any other movement, name in, in any other sovereign that has that kind of reach through time and geography. Allah doesn't have that. Confucius doesn't have that. Right. They tend to be they tend to be time bound, geography bound. A lot of them are ethnicity bound. Name something as ethnically income diverse as the as the Church of Jesus Christ. There's not anything. Right. And so when we say those creeds, or when oh brother had a North Greenville student, uh, Andy Parno, come come back from yeah. the Philippines. Yeah, he was telling me that in this little house church with maybe a dozen people, they sang the doxology in that that native language. Yeah. All around the world and throughout time, like that's it. That's cool. Like I sing the same song, song that uh, uh, Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis sang. Cool. Let's keep doing that. Okay. And that Christians underground are singing in China. There's something great about that. And to your to the core point, having having those core stories in Western civilization. That was where we we deviated from. Was the Moby Dick Reader's Digest right, thing. Right, right. We need all of those stories to make up the fabric so we don't tear apart. Right. So there's value in re the Reader's Digest version of things that we offer mm -hmm. so to keep everyone together. Yeah, the tapestry uh, gets tightly woven when all of the, the pieces are brought together in a way that we recognize and become familiar with uh, so that the back of the tapestry may, may look a little uh, Ooh, chaotic, 
but the front is a beautiful picture of who we are as a people. And I'll, I'll throw one more at you, which gets me. I can't. You know, when we sing Revelation song, yes. I mean, now now we're transcending time and history, and we're stepping into the throne room of heaven because that's going on 27, 24-7, 365. In our little time-bound world, this is an internal event taking part in heaven, and you just walked in the door yes, sir. If, you, if you start singing that. So. When, when we sing that at church, or th- that, that one gets to me. Also, the old—man, this is like a 400-year-old hymn— uh, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Yes, who was uh, and is and is come. That There is a hymn that goes along with that, uh, casting down their golden crowns yes, around the glassy, glassy sea. sea. I think that song is just called Holy, Holy, Holy. Yes. But man, that's very directly taken from text and revelation. Yep. There's uh, there's power in those things. The church, the church story is the most important one that I want to make sure we all share. Yep. But the American story is a good story for that's however good. long the Lord wants to keep it around. Went. And we, we, I think you and I want to tell that American story as well. And I, you know, I, I revert back to my roots that I'm very proud of. Um, but occasionally, when certain hymns come across uh, the the way in church, you know, I've never sang. I, I don't think I've ever sang in my life that there's power in the blood. It's always power in the blood because yeah. that's just where you know I can remember as a kid <laughs> singing that with a whole bunch of farmers from Ellenborough in the church going, there's power in the blood. I mean, that's just what, that's the way we sang it. But you talk about devotion and, you know, emotion coming out of that. Yeah. There was a, a lot of it. The hymn so. book actually had it written P-W apostrophe yep. R. That's right. How are you supposed to say that but power? <laughs> that's, it, they don't even good, have a vowel in it. it that's a good P-W apostrophe R. That's a very good point. All right. Well, um, how much time we got left? Nick? Two minutes. Okay. Um, you know, if if we don't get a chance to do this again before the show goes away, um, I, you know, I start talking about how much uh, you mean to me and, and the fact that we've been able to do this together some yes. and the fact that you're doing it um, is means the world. So and, I, and hopefully there'll be opportunities for that. You know, I've talked a little bit about we've talked a little bit about the website cross promoting shows and writing yeah. and stuff because we really, really want to keep this idea going of holding the culture together, Western civilization um, I I, uh, I want to recommend a book. Yesterday, uh, I talked to Colin Hansen, and uh, I just I, I want everybody to read this book on the spiritual formation of Tim Keller. And you may say, well, wait a minute, didn't you just take a right turn? You were talking about Western civilization, and no, I'm talking about the same things because when you look at the things that influenced Keller and his spiritual formation, you're talking about people who had a profound influence on the direction of evangelicalism in America. People like John Stott, mm-hmm. Martin Lo- Lloyd-Jones, uh, R.C. Sproul, and Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, I, I had no idea. I have not read uh, Elizabeth Elliot widely. I've read some of her stuff. Um, I'm, I'm going to fix that because some of the things that uh, he quoted, and that Kathy Keller uh, quoted in her book, and Elizabeth Elliot quoted of Kathy Keller in when Elizabeth Elliot mm. wrote a book. I mean, this this kind of thing is um, it is is we need it. We need to grasp it. We need to take it in. Uh, it'll make us better. It'll make us closer, which is extremely important um, as a as a country right now. We've got to find the way to find our way back to the things that we can agree on and celebrate together. Uh, so that we can stop yelling at each other. 